to read to you from Genesis chapter 32, picking it up in verse 22. We're going to read about Jacob. It says, that night Jacob got up and he took his two wives, his two male female servants and his eleven sons and crossed the ford of Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he was as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, "Let me go for it is daybreak." But Jacob replied, "I will not let you go unless you bless me." The man asked him, "What is your name?" Jacob he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask me my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. There's a lot in that. And there's a lot of theology, a lot of type and shadow, a lot of even some, you know, things that are hard for us to understand. The thing I want you to get from that passage and that experience this morning that I feel God wants us to get is... Jacob had an encounter with God, and in his encounter with God, it left him with a limp. He said he struggled with man, and he struggled with God. So this wrestling match was, was, you know, brought on by God for for Jacob to know who he was. So there's some language in there that can be a little difficult to understand. Let's talk about Jacob's limp a little bit, and after this wrestling match that he had with God. Limps are a painful... Obvious reminders that, you know, some sort of injury, some sort of uh, pain has taken place in somebody's life. And as I was even preparing this, I remember a couple summers ago, it wasn't last summer, but the summer before, the night before, uh, my family and I were going to go on a vacation. We were going to Florida. And did you hear my voice crack? Huh? I just hit puberty. <laughs> Me and. Peter Brady, but anyway, you probably wouldn't even notice, but I heard it, so I had to let, let, make fun of myself there. But we were getting ready to go on our vacation. I'm sitting on the couch. It's 9 o'clock at night, and I get a phone call from Bob Cooley, who runs the, the softball team, and they play real close to my house, and, and it, a lot of Novation guys were there, and they needed, needed an old fat guy to come play in the outfield, I guess, that particular night. And so I wasn't doing anything, just sitting there. So I said, sure, I'll come over. And I came over to the game, and they were already playing. And as, as we were playing and start running, I didn't stretch. How many know when you're 45, you still think you're 18? You, you, you know, you don't stretch, you don't do it. I didn't do any of that. And my calf started bugging me a little bit. And I could feel it just getting a little more aggravated. It was kind of telling me, don't push this, dude. I will, I will blow you up. And uh, so I kept, kept, kept pushing, kept pushing, and I went, ran after a, a fly ball in the outfield, and bam, I felt my calf pop. It just popped. 
And so I hopped around the outfield. I put, had to put me at catcher. And I still played the two games. You should be proud of that because they needed the guy. And so I would hit the ball and I would hop to first base on one leg. <laughs> then they'd give me a runner. So it, all that to say, in the airport the next day, I'm limping. And everybody's noticing this guy that's, you know, can, can barely walk. And we're supposed to go on vacation. I'm limped around the first whole part of vacation. And about the third day, no pun intended, about the third day on the vacation, I, I looked down at my foot and it was all purple. And it was black and blue. I thought, man, did I twist my ankle or something? Didn't realize what really happened. And I called the doctor and he said, you tore your calf muscle and the blood is just, you know, gravity's taking over and the blood is filling up your foot. And I was like, oh, we're going to have to amputate this thing or I'm in big trouble, man. Thanks, Bob, for calling me to play softball. I'm just kidding. It was fun. Limps, though, in life when, you know, some people get injured so bad that, that they have to learn to live with their limp. Maybe that's you, physically. You, somewhere you, you, you had an injury and you limp and uh, you kind of forget that you limp sometimes, though. You had an old football injury, you had an old, you know, military injury, whatever it is, and you learn to kind of live with that. And you don't realize you have that limp until some, somebody says, hey, dude, you're limping around. What's, what's your story? And you're like, oh, yeah, I do limp. And, and you tell them what, what happened and you kind of rehearse that again. Well, Jacob wrestled with God and he got a limp. He wrestled with, with God. He walked with a limp from there. And here's the key for today. He led with a limp. He began, to, Jacob was, was, changed his name to Israel. He was the promised seed of Abraham. And he ends up being the leader of Israel. And he led with a limp. We're starting a series today, as you can see, called Leadership Is. And over this month of, of March, each Sunday, we're going to look at a different aspect of leadership from the scriptures. And see what God has to say about leadership. And today we're going to talk about our inadequacy. That if we're really going to understand leadership, regardless of how you see yourself as a leader or not, you have to see yourself, you got weaknesses. But God still wants to use you the same way that he used Jacob. So like, like Jacob, we all walk and lead with a limp. And that's, when you hear me throughout this message talking about your limp, that's just another way of saying we have an inadequacy. We have a weakness. We have struggles there. Walking, if you want to look on your notes, is a figure of speech to describe someone's relationship with God. In Genesis 5.22, it talks about Enoch walked with God. In Micah 6.8, we're told that the duty of man is to, you know, love justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. So it's the walking part. In the New Testament... We're told we're to walk in the light, walk in love, walk in the truth. Paul said, walk worthy of the call that you've been given. So here's the deal. I know right now there's some folks in the room that are tempted to tune out. Because you're thinking, yeah, I walk with God, but I'm not a leader. I'm not a leader, so why would I want to listen to this you know, message? Well, how, what am I going to get from this? Well, let me give you a definition of a leader. A leader is anyone who has someone following them. You're a leader because somebody looks up to you. If someone is calling you dad, if someone is calling you mom, if someone's calling you grandma or grandpa or uncle or aunt or they call you a coach or they call you a boss or a teacher or manager, you're a leader. You are leader, a leader because you're influencing somebody. Somebody needs you to be a leader. Seriously, we're in a crisis of leadership in our culture. 
And part of the problem of the crisis of leadership that we have in our culture is our culture tends to say that leadership equals perfection. If I have this perfect life, then I, then I'm, I can be a leader. That's not how God sees it. God is not looking for perfection. He's looking for someone who's broken, who's humble, and who will be faithful. That's what God asks of us as leaders, that we be humble, broken, and faithful. So you have a limp, the leader's limp. What is the leader's limp? You can write this down. It's your past failures, your present fears, and persistent pain. So your past failures, your present fears, and your persistent pain. That's the leader's limp. It's a metaphor for that. So when you hear me today talking about your limp, it's your past failure, present fear, persistent pain. I wonder what comes to mind when you think of those things. Your past failures, maybe your present fears, or that persistent pain in your life. What what experiences come into your mind? These things are your limp. And how many have learned in life that life can be cruel? Life can be unfair. People can be cruel. People can be unfair. Jacob wrestled with God and got a limp. Something's happened in your life and you you have a limp. It's not a physical limp. But it's something that you see in your life and you're thinking, can God really use me? Man, because of this failure. Can God really use me because of, of this pain that I feel or, or this fear that I have? Can God use me? Your pain, your limp, is actually a trophy of God's grace, if you will allow it to be. It is a trophy where God says, look what I can do in a life. Look how I can redeem things that are, that are bad. Jacob got his limp wrestling with God. Paul, the apostle who wrote three quarters of the New Testament, who before he became a follower of Jesus, persecuted Christians, took them to their death and thought he was doing God a favor. And he knew about having a limp. He talked in 2 Corinthians about having this thorn in the flesh, this thing that he pleaded with God three times and said, God, would you take this away from me? I don't know if it was a past failure, a present fear, or some sort of physical persistent pain. Whatever it was, he asked God to take it away from him. And look how God responds to him in 2 Corinthians 12. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul responds and says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So Jacob limped, Paul limped. Here's some other leaders from, that we see in Scripture and, and in the Christian history. Moses, he limped. Moses committed murder. Did you know that? Mo- Moses got ticked off at an Egyptian and, and had him killed. And then he ran off and was, was in, the, in the, you know, the desert for 40 years before God called him back in to, to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And he had a huge inferiority complex. Uh, Moses, when God called him, he was like, find somebody else, man. I'm, I'm insecure. I don't know how to speak before people. He had a hesitancy. King David. King David was called a man after God's own heart by God. And yet David... He committed adultery and tried to cover up the adultery when she was pregnant by sending her husband to the front line in a battle to make sure he got killed. So he covered that up. David also understood betrayal. 
He was betrayed by those closest to him. And he limped through life because of those experiences. He limped as a leader because of that. Peter, the apostle, man, he talked a big talk, but he didn't walk the walk. Peter would uh, over and over, Jesus, I'll go to, to, I'll die for you. I'll lay down my life for you, Jesus. I'll do this. And he failed at, at every turn until after the resurrection and he saw the risen Christ. His life did change, but he, he limped around. John Bunyan. John Bunyan wrote The Pilgrim's Progress, which is probably the, the highest, most read Christian book outside of the Bible ever. And he wrote the book Pilgrim's Progress, which is an allegorical look at the Christian life. Well, here's a guy that God used in, in an amazing way, and yet he struggled with fear and anxiety big time. You read about him. Charles Spurgeon, he's my, my all-time favorite dead guy. <laughs> I don't know how he, he lived a hundred and so years ago. And he had a church in England, and you can still read his sermons. And he was called the Prince of preacher, Preachers. And he, he was like the first guy to use humor in a message. And, and he was talked bad by his, you know, contemporaries at the time. You don't use humor, and yet God used him in many ways to bring people to Jesus. Well, every Monday morning, he suffered from what we call in ministry PMS, post-ministry syndrome. But don't, where's my drummer? Post-ministry syndrome, meaning you, you lay it on the line on Sunday. You pour your heart out through preaching, through ministry, etc. And then Monday comes around and there's this funk that comes on pastors and people who do ministry. Just like, man, it's a, it's a weird depression. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a battle that's, that's fought on a, on a weekly basis. But he struggled with that to the point where Charles couldn't even get out of bed for like weeks at a time. Billy Graham, he, he struggled with doubt. He had that limp, and he's honest about it. Let me tell you about me. I know God's called me to be a leader and that he wired me to be a leader, but I also know that I have a limp. And in my life, I struggle with insecurity. I'm an affirmation junkie. You know, you can be an, you need so many attaboys to keep you rolling all the time and people's approval, and, and that has, you know, caused me to limp a little as a leader. The other truth about my life is I've experienced the pain of divorce both as a child and as an adult. Anybody that's ever been through a divorce knows that that's gut-wrenching, heart-tearing things that you go through in life. And I've experienced that. But I also know God's redeeming power. I know that Romans 8.28 is true. That God works all things together for the good. And... But still, it's part of my story. It's part of my life. I want to ask you a question on your notes. Write your name down. Right there in the, in the line to the left, there's a blank line. Write your name down. To the right of it, I want you to write what your limp is. What's that past failure, present fear, persistent pain? Maybe it was divorce. Maybe it was abuse. Maybe it was addiction. Maybe it was a loss of, you know, losing a loved one too soon. Maybe it was a broken relationship. Maybe your parents, you still have a, issues with, with your parents and you're, you're an adult. Maybe your limp was self-inflicted or inflicted by others. Maybe life just happened. How many have figured out that sometimes life just happens and you can't do anything about it and this isn't heaven? You're going to go through something that's going to leave you with a limp. 
How many are tracking with me right now? Something in your life caused you to limp. So what I want to do is I want to inspire you this morning not only to identify that experience or that thing in your life that causes you to limp, but here's more importantly, I want you to see how God can use your inadequacy, how God can use your limp this morning. I'm standing up here and I'm going to lay it all on the line for you this morning, hopefully to be you know, an example that you can be transparent about what, what's, what's happened in your life if you allow God to work in and through your life and through your circumstances. As a follower of Jesus, as a person, and as a leader, we need to, we need to understand this. First thing is this. Write this down. Let God have your shame. Let him have your shame. Grant read that scripture about, we read that together, about, about shame. The definition of shame would be, to me, is when we're walking in shame, is we're, we, we cover up from, from God and one another. We're afraid to be truthful. We're afraid if you really knew me, man, you wouldn't love me. If you really knew this about me, you wouldn't like me. You wouldn't accept me. So shame is this invisible shield that we carry around. And, you know, Adam and Eve in the garden, after they had sinned, they were naked. And they were unashamed, Scripture says. But after they sinned, they experienced shame. And so they sewed fig leaves together to cover up their nakedness. And God even says to them, who told you you were naked? You know, and they, they said, well, they, they covering up from, from him and, and from one another. So there's a big difference, though, between guilt and shame. Sometimes people feel guilty without having anything to feel guilty about. You know what I'm saying? You feel guilty, you don't have anything to feel guilty about. There's just this, this cloud that follows some people around in their, in, their, in their guilt. Sometimes people feel shame about something in their past that they felt guilty for that they actually dealt with, that they actually know they gave to Jesus and that he died for, but there's still this cloud of shame. You need to give that shame over to Jesus. You need to give that over to God so that you can be the type of person and leader that God really wants you to be. Corrie ten Boom, she said that the purpose of guilt is to lead us to Jesus. Once we're there, its purpose is over. I love that. Guilt drives me to Jesus, to my need of a Savior. He's my Savior. Its purpose is over. There's now, now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So guilt is for what we do. Shame tends to be who we perceive ourselves to be or who I think you think I am. And it's easy to be embarrassed by our limp. It's easy to be embarrassed by our past failures. I was thinking about this. Please get this this morning. Jesus is not embarrassed of the scars that are on his hands and feet that hung him on a cross. He's not embarrassed because that was for you. That was for me. That was for the things that cause us to limp around, the things that have hurt us in life, self-inflicted or not. They were for us. His scars are for us. The Psalm 25, we read this. No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. Never be put to shame. I want to compare and contrast for a moment what shame says versus God's response. When people notice your limp and they say, hey, You know, figuratively speaking, what happened? Here's what tends to happen inside of us. Shame says, I'm damaged. 
God's response is, I will heal you. Shame says, I'm dirty. God's response is, I'll wash you whiter than snow. Shame says, I'm incompetent. God's response is, I'll give you wisdom. Shame says, I'm unwanted. God says, I created you. Shame says, I'm weak. God's response is, in your weakness, I'm made strong. Shame says, I'm hopeless. God says, I'll give you hope. Shame says, I'm unlovable. God says, I sent my son to die for you. People who have been shamed or live in shame tend to lead in shame. People, there's shame-based parenting. There's shame-based coaching, shame-based teaching. In high school, my high school baseball coach, he was a shamer. And he would... He, he thought if he shamed you and, and tore you down, that that was going to motivate you to be better. How many had a coach like that? Just me. Okay. No, I'm kidding. You didn't want to raise your hand because you're afraid he's in the room. But my coach is not in the room. But he, he, I remember one time my senior year in high school, I had just, uh, it was having a good beginning of the year playing baseball, hit a home run against Cherry Creek, a grand slam. He said, oh, you keep that up. You're going to be all state. I'm so glad you're on this team. And all of a sudden, a week later, I went into a little bit of a slump. And he actually, in front of all my teammates, said, Applegate, if I, he was retiring that year. And he said, if I wasn't retiring, I'd replace you with a sophomore. Thanks, coach. That really built me up. I, you know, and he thought that was going to motivate me, though. Sometimes parents do that. We think if we tear our kids down or we shame them that we're, we, we have to watch our tone in our parenting all the time. If it's coming across as shame, you're not going to see the results that you want. It's going to be the exact opposite. So some in this room, you're limping because your parents shamed you. Give it to Jesus. Give that shame of your life, your experience, whatever other people thought about you and find your identity in Jesus. Your parents were sinners, and they needed, and they, they didn't know better. I mean, and sometimes we have to learn to just say, I don't know. But God, I, I, my identity is in you, not in what people think of me. You know why? Because if you don't do that, you'll be a shame-based leader yourself. If you don't learn to give your shame, then you will be a shame-based leader as well. Second thing I want you to write down is this. If you're going to let God use your limp as a leader... Let God move you from brokenness to brokenness. Brokenness to brokenness. Let me explain the difference. Yes, I created a word, brokenness. <laughs> that first one, you English teachers are going, that's not a word. Yeah, I created it, but it works. Brokenness is something's broken and in need of repair. It's, it's unusable because it's broken. Brokenness is a positive word that like a horse that becomes tame is broken. It's a good word. A, a glove, a mitt for baseball that's broken in. We like that because it's, 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 it's better than when it's brand new and all stiff. It's hard to catch. The psalmist says in Psalm 51, The sacrifice you want is a broken spirit. A broken and repented heart, O oh God, you will not despise. So there's a good brokenness. A, a, a brokenness that's that tame horse. It's teachable. It's pliable. And that's how God wants us to move from being broken to people that are broken in humility before God. That through that, we're showing that he actually has healed us. And that he's in that process of healing us. Let me challenge you. 
How's that working in your life? How's that working in your life? Are you still operating out of brokenness, if you will? Here's a good test of you if you're leading in brokenness rather than the humble part of brokenness. Are you quick to judge other people? Are you, is the first response out of you when you see somebody's brokenness, brokenness in their life is to judge them? Or is compassion flow out of you? Are you a reactor when it comes to uh, relational uh, struggles and conflict? You tend to react. Do you have fits of anger? Do you have a problem forgiving people? If, you're, if that's true of you, then you might be leading and operating still out of brokenness rather than, God, I want to be broken before you. Broken people forgive easy. Broken people say, God, I've been forgiven of so much. How can I hold this over anybody else? That person's bro- broken. The one that can't forgive is that horse that's still bucking and going crazy and doesn't want somebody to, to ride it because it's, it's not broken yet. So we need to continue to pursue that. Let God heal you. If that touched a nerve with you, here's here's what I would tell you to do simply. Cry out to God and say, God, would you heal me from my brokenness? Jesus, you died for all my sins. Help me to be the type of person and leader that you want me to be. He'll answer that prayer. Third thing is this. Let God shine through your weakness. Let him shine through your weakness. I love stories about people who overcome struggles and disabilities. How many love the, the good stories about the underdog? Let me see your hand. You love the underdog. How about Rudy? Rudy, Rudy. Do you know Grant was in the movie? Rudy. He was, so look for Grant at the end when, when Rudy gets to come into the game. So Grant's really famous. He's about 12 in the movie, so he might look a little different. But I love Rudy. I was a Rudy when it came to football in high school. I was too small to be a lineman and too slow to be any kind of skill position. So I played baseball. But uh, there went my football career. But I, I like the, that, the people that are, that are overcomers. But even more, I love it when someone is doing it in the power of Christ and for Christ's glory. When they overcome that, those struggles. I'm going to show you a clip. Watch the screen and uh, watch how this father and son have overcome struggles and disability and weakness uh, to bring honor into their lives. You have dreams, you have desires, you have hopes, but because of your weakness, because of your limp, you say to yourself, I can't do this. God can't use me. Here's God's word to you. Philippians 4.13 For I can do everything with the help of Christ who gives me the strength I need. I think that's the most humble statement in all of Scripture because humility is dependence. It's an utmost dependence upon God. So together with Christ, we can do whatever he asks us to do. Whatever Jesus has called you to do, you can do it with his strength. Now I want you to picture yourself as, as the son in that, in that video. Inadequate. He was weak. He was handicapped. Here's the deal. He was willing to get in the chair. He was willing to, to do this. Picture Jesus as the dad in the story. Adequate, able. What have you told Jesus that, 
that you want to do but you feel inadequate because of your limp? What is that in you? Here's the deal. Get in the chair. Get in the chair. One thing Jesus is not going to do for you is get it, put you in the chair. You have to, by faith, say, Lord, here I am. God, I'm, make myself available. Push me around like, like you had to be pushed in that wheel, wheelchair that they put together. Lord, but here I am. That's your step of getting in the chair is saying, God, here I am. Are you willing to get in the chair? Let me give you the last point. Let God use your story. Let God use your story. You wrote down early on what your limp was. Your past failure, uh, present fear, persistent pain. It's part of your story. God wants to move us from misery to ministry. That he wants to use your story to minister to somebody else. Let me get real personal for a second. When I was at a low point in my life, when that limp was, was real fresh to me, going through a divorce, having been through that, being on the other side, I was at a conference, a leadership conference, and a good friend of mine came up to me, and his name is Gary, and he said, Scott, I know that, that you think life's over for you. And I did. I felt like I was at a dead end. Who would want an old washed up pastor? <laughs> and uh, I remember thinking that. And he said, Scott, here's God's word to you. If you will walk with integrity throughout your circumstances and keep yourself right before the Lord, you're going to have more ministry than you ever dreamed you were going to have. If one out of every two marriages end in divorce, there's a lot of ministry to be done. Now, listen, I hate divorce. I hate it more than anything. Anybody who's been through it, it's, it's the worst. And it hurts deeply. But his words spoke to my heart that maybe where I was at wasn't a dead end, but it was a detour. To get through this disappointment, to get me to a different place. So it was probably about that same time, same week, I was driving my two daughters to school. And... Chase, my oldest daughter, told us about one of her classmates whose, whose friend's parents were getting a divorce. I said, oh man, I'm sorry to hear that. And all of a sudden I thought, here's a teachable moment. And I said, I remember saying to them, I said, guys, you know when we see pictures of kids in Africa with the swollen bellies and the flies on their face? I said, how does that make you feel when you, when you see that? And they said, oh, it makes us feel sad. And I said, that's called compassion. It's called sympathy. The difference between sympathy and empathy, I told them, though, is we've never been hungry like that. We're only guessing what they feel like. I said, your little friends at school who are experiencing what you've experienced, you actually can come alongside them, encourage them, and tell them what God's done for you and how you've leaned on God's strength through the middle of this. I remember them, they looked at me in the back seat and they said, we can do that. And I was like, that's awesome. Well, it says in, in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. What experience have you had in your life where you've received comfort God wants to use that to turn around and comfort somebody else. Charles Spurgeon said, It's good for me to have been afflicted, that I might know how to speak a word in season to one who is weary. Again, go back in time 
a little bit. I, I, I remember in that season of life, I don't remember the exact time it was, but I posted a picture on Facebook. And a friend of mine named John uh, commented on my picture. He said, nice picture. Here's what he said. He said, I see a guy who's been wounded and a guy who limps. But the limp tells us that we can trust you. That was huge to hear that. So three days later, I get a phone call from a pastor friend of mine, Mike Colley. And Mike says, Scott, I was praying for you. And he said, he said, I was praying for you, and, and I, know, I know you've experienced tough things in your life, and they've caused you to limp. Here's what he said. But the limp tells people you can trust them, that they can trust you. So these two guys who do not know each other at all, never talked, gave me the same word of encouragement about my limp. You see why this is a passion message for me? Um, when, you, when you experience it, and to know that somebody was saying there was a word of encouragement, a word of belief, a word of affirmation that somehow God could work all things for good. Let me fast forward. Let me fast forward. I go to my future brother-in-law's birthday party. And uh, I'm not trying to make this message about me. Please don't hear that, but... Here's my story. And I meet meet this awesome person named Janelle. And we got to talking, and she shared her limp with me and what she had been through. I noticed her limp. <laughs> I noticed she was hot, but I also noticed her limp. Hey, nice limp. <laughs> nice limp. It's a great pickup line. Hey, nice limp. What's going on? <laughs> and the rest was history after that. We got married, blended a family, her and Damien, me and Chase and Chandler, blend a family. And this dream of, I didn't know this was going to be so hard, man. This dream of this was in our hearts early on. And we were wrestling with what to do in this, and God had done an you know, amazing thing bringing us together. And um, We went on a vacation to Phoenix, Scottsdale, and it was hot, so we're in the pool. And I remember this so, like it was yesterday, this was June of 2011. And we're in... Uh, in the pool, and we're talking to this family that we had met, and the kids are all playing in the pool, and this lady was from the East Coast. She was a little brash, and she was throwing down the beers pretty good, so she was a little loose tongue, and she goes, hey, he doesn't look like you. Meet talking about Damien. What's your story? And uh, Janelle begins to tell our story about two people that were broken by life that God had brought together. And it was in that moment that I knew we were supposed to start a church for broken people, people who needed a fresh start. 
Thus the name Novation, a new beginning, where people could come and just drag that puppy into the, into the gym and let's talk about Jesus and how he redeems life and how he redeems our stories and how he can use our stories to be a blessing to other people. I see people in this room, I know your story, I know your limps, and we're, we're going to do this together and we're going to continue to let God use our stories for his glory. A friend of mine told me a story about a pastor preached a message, and at the end of the, he was a guest pastor, and at the end of the message, all these people came forward to have him pray for them. And as the, this one young kid came over, a teenager, to, to the pastor, he said, Pastor, please pray for me. Lay your hands on me. I want to be used of God like you're used of God. I want to have that same anointing, that same power that you have. He said, okay, I'll pray for you. He laid his hands on the kid and he began to pray for him. He said, Lord, I pray you would take this young man through the broken relationships that I've been through. Take him into the desert like I've been in the desert. Take him through all the pain. And it was like in the middle of that prayer, the kid was like, ah, time out. I, that's not exactly what I was looking for in this prayer. He stopped him from praying. And the, the guy said, young man, you don't get this type of ministry by someone putting their hands on you. You got to live life. You have to experience God's grace and redeeming power. And you have a story to tell. You all have a story to tell about God's goodness and what he's done in your life. You need to tell it. Here's how you tell your story quickly. Identify your limp. You've done that. Then ask yourself the question, when did it happen? What did I feel? How did God help? And what did I learn? What's my limp? When did it happen? What did I feel? How did God help and what did I learn? That's what I've done for you today. I've told you a little bit of my life. Most, a lot of you knew that, but some of you didn't. And I'm not ashamed of my story. It is what it is. Our lives are, 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 are if we give them to God, he redeems it. It's part of your life. In your leadership role, whatever it is, where do you need to be honest where do you need to be vulnerable a little bit? Vulnerability takes courage. If you're able to be vulnerable in front of people and with people, it's because you're finding your identity in Jesus and what he's done for you. Learn to let God use your limp your, to his glory. Everybody grab the name tag that's on your chair. There was a name tag. You thought you were going to have to write your name down with these. You're like marking your chair. Don't do that. <laughs> You know, you write your, your name on a name tag and you say, hello, my name is Scott, hello, my name is Joe, whatever it is. I was thinking about this. What if you were to write your limp right there? Put it, and then we all came into church. Hey, divorce, hey, abuse, hey, <laughs> you know. It would feel weird, wouldn't it? How would that feel for everybody to see your limp right there? It would feel, it would take a little courage to be able to do that. I'm not going to ask you to do that. I am going to ask you to write on there, though, what your limp is and put it in your Bible. Put it somewhere where you can see it. And remember, God can use my story. God can use what I've been through for his glory. And God's going to use it. This is your takeaway, then. Leadership as a parent, grandparent, whatever it is, it starts with admitting your own inadequacy, acknowledging your limp. If you've never 
put your trust in Jesus as Savior and said, I'm going to follow him as Lord, today's the day to do that. Because it doesn't matter what your limp is, it's, 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 you're going to continue to limp worse and not heal. Come to the Savior today. If you've never trusted him, would you stand to your feet with me? I apologize for going over a couple minutes. I didn't know I was going to cry so much. So uh, Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for everybody in this room. God, I pray for us to, to be so connected to you by faith into the truth of your love and word for us that we would uh, admit our inadequacy, we admit our weakness, that we do walk with a limp, but God, you're a healer. And God, you are going to use us to lead people more and more to you. So God bless every parent, every grandparent, every type of leader that's represented in this room, spiritual influence, on the job, whatever it is. Bless us with a, a greater understanding of you that we walk in your strength, power, and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.